don't know if you guys know this or not, but I am actually not speaking this week. Oh, I know, so sad. But you are in for a treat because one of the other members of our leadership team, Wendy, is speaking this week. So you guys are in for a treat. She is going to be amazing. I've actually never heard her speak, but that just shows you the faith that we have in our people. Okay, guys, we have the faith. All right, so here, without further ado, Wendy with the last name that I still cannot pronounce. <laughs> Thanks. It's McElroy. I just need a music stand. That would be great. Uh, thank you. Yeah, um, Caleb and I, and you see Caleb and I both speak, we're very like not technological because we have one iPad that we share and it's being used for sound. So I have a Bible and I have actual physical notes to talk to with you guys. Yeah, like legit. So just give me like three seconds here while I um, handle all this paper that no one ever has to deal with anymore. It's, that's why it's more complicated. Here we go. The fan is blowing my Bible around. Okay. Also, our ears aren't working. So yeah, that's exciting too, right? Let's just have some fun. Okay. Okay. Hi, guys. Um, so I wanted to just tell you a little bit about me and about Caleb. Um, so we, Caleb and I are the youth pastors here at Reclaimed. Um, we've been working in youth ministry basically since we left youth ministry, so like about 10 years. And we absolutely love these kids so much. Um, they're so special to us. We have such a heart for them. Um, so that's what we do here. And my story, I'm not going to tell like my whole testimony or anything, but just to tell you a little bit of how crazy it is that I'm up here. Um, my mom left our, my mom and dad left their current church when I was about like nine or 10 and brought us to another church. She did that specifically for me so that I could be in a kid's ministry that would actually impact me. Um, I was insanely shy like deathly afraid to talk to people um especially at church i definitely even remember at our at our old church like hiding under i never went to kids church i sat with my mom every single week the pastor would be yelling from the pulpit because it was very pentecostal and he would be like screaming hellfire or something i don't know and i literally remember one time just like hiding under my mom's blanket because i was terrified of what was happening um so that's how shy i was she brought us to the next church and that was where miss kathy was miss kathy if you're listening in the recording um thank you so much for all that you did for me okay um it was a beautiful environment that she created for us and i know a lot of you in here were in the environment that she that she created um it was a very free environment and i still got to encounter the lord in some camps and stuff those camps were amazing and they impacted my life they they literally changed me um it wasn't until i got into youth ministry that the lord really started to encounter me i hated going to youth let me repeat i hated it um my mom i literally would be like crying and, and she made me go anyways i think i tried to do a science project one day instead of going to youth and i hated doing science projects that's how much i hated going because um, i was literally that shy person i just didn't i wasn't good at making friends and i was 
like in middle school, so that's always hard, right? Um, so but the Lord encountered me at one of the youth camps. I'm going to keep plugging away at those camps because they're life-changing. The Lord encountered me at those, and something crazy just happened. Um, it became like the part of religion that it was for me faded away, and I actually met the man, Jesus, and I just fell in love with him. Um, I was not in love with church, and I was not in love with religion, and I wasn't in love with my mom's religion or my, what my mom was doing. I fell in love with Jesus, um, and, and that's really what happened for me, and I hope my prayer, our prayer, is that your kids will, will do the same when they go to these camps, that it'll become real for them in the same way that it became real for us. Um, your example and what you're doing in the home is everything, but when the Lord is able to encounter them, when their hearts are just so ready to be encountered, they're so primed and ready, those camps are just, they're the best. So that's a little bit about me and why I'm here today because of the Lord. I never would have gone up and on this stage and, and talked to people. Um, I have John Kimmer to thank for that too, um, for always pushing and terrifying us to do things that we didn't want to do. We didn't think we were capable of doing, but now I'm up here talking to people. So there you go, the Holy Spirit and people who challenge you. So the title of my message today is Empathy Tells a Story. So we're going to be talking about empathy today. It is like an interesting subject because I think some people think that they know what empathy is and some people are like what is what is empathy i think people like throw it around like oh yeah i empathize with you or they're like wait should i use empathy or sympathy or like what's the difference between those two things um and i also was like of course i'm talking about feelings the first week that a woman is up here speaking like <laughs> of course that's happening i've spoken like every other week at youth and i've talked about a million other things that were not feelings related and of course i come to you guys and it's like about feelings it's whatever so it is what it is but anyways the title is empathy tells a story um i would have the subtitle be so sit down shut up and listen but i didn't think that was very nice um so that's not the subtitle but it kind of is if you want to imagine that it is um but we're going to talk about the actual definition so the actual definition is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another it's not too complicated um, but let me give you the definition of sympathy also so that you can kind of contrast and then we're going to watch a video after that that'll be fun um, so sympathy is feelings of pity and sorrow for someone else's misfortune so there's a bit of a directional thing happening with empathy empathy and sympathy um, empathy you're sharing the feelings of another you're like equal like you're on the same level if they're on the ground if they're in the dirt laying on the dirt you're laying on the dirt with them and you're eye to eye you're face to face sympathy is almost like you're looking down on them and you feel you feel bad for them but there's no connection you feel bad for them but there's no connection between you um, and that's not what we want and i'm gonna we're gonna talk a lot today about jesus and his example of empathy he never looked down he always looked eye to eye with you he was always face to face with you sharing struggles and abby can you go ahead and play this video i don't know if you guys have ever heard of um, oh gosh i'm blanking on her name now 
Brene Brown. I'm sure some of you have heard of her. She has so much beautiful stuff. Um, she has a talk on empathy, a TED talk on it. And so we're gonna watch this little clip about the difference between empathy and sympathy. It has some like little cartoons and stuff in it, which actually could, so it could be great for kids as well. But it's really entertaining for us because who doesn't like cartoons? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> So what is empathy, and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions, where empathy is relevant, and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective-taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, and climb down. I know what it's like down here, and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, it's bad, uh-huh. Uh, no, you want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. That's so good, right? Rarely does a response make something better, but what makes something better is connection. And that's the really big difference between empathy and sympathy, um, is the goal is connection. Um, and a lot of times when somebody is struggling with something in front of you, um, it actually sometimes can create distance between you because you're kind of scared of it, right? Or you don't know like how to respond to it. And it takes an intentional choice, like she said, um, to lean in and say, okay, I have to tap into what I'm feeling right now and where maybe I have been, or I have to get in their headspace, get in their world and think about how this is impacting them. That takes an intentional choice. Some of us are very good at this and it comes naturally and easy for you. Some of us, 
It is not easy, and it's really hard to empathize with people. Um, we have a hard time with it. So I'm going to give you guys a little, like, empathy barometer. I promise we're going to talk about, like, the Bible and Jesus in a second. It's, this is not like a, a TED Talk on empathy, I, I promise. Um, so I'm going to give you an empathy barometer. So you kind of see you fit probably in one of three of these or maybe in between there somewhere. So the first one is, I'm going to set up the, the situation for you. You're in a group of people, a small group of people, and somebody in the room is sharing something that's, like, difficult, and they just, like, burst into tears about it. And so there's typically, like, three different responses that people have in the room. So the first kind of response is normally, like, the person that also immediately starts crying, and they can't help but start crying as soon as somebody else is crying and they immediately have to go and like hug that person it's like a compulsory thing they're like getting out of their seat before they're even thinking about it and they're like how did I get over here and find myself hugging this person it just happened naturally to them so that's the first that's the first response the second response and Abby you can put that meme up um about yes so this is I don't know if you can see it very well but this meme circulated like a couple years ago and I relate to it so much because even though I'm talking about empathy I it's not like my main thing guys I'm teaching you guys things I have learned for my own good um so he's trying to comfort her like from afar he's saying they're there with a broom and this is this is literally sympathy so this is the situation where like somebody in the room starts crying and your heart like your heart goes out to them like and you feel sad or you feel something is happening but you really would like for it to be over as soon as possible because it's awkward and it's uncomfortable and you don't know what to do uh, and so you're staying at a distance there is no connection. The, the broom doesn't count as connection. I just want you to know that. The broom doesn't count as connection. Okay, so that's like the second place. That's probably where I float most of the time. I have a, it's really easy for me to mentally understand what people are feeling, but as far as emotionally, uh, that takes a little bit of a trip for me. Um, so the third person is the person who is just like, wow. That's, that's a lot of tears. Okay, all right, man, you need to suck it up. Like, we, we all have problems, okay? Like, this is a little dramatic right now. Like, it can't be that bad. Why don't you just go read Job? Like, he's had plenty of problems. Go read Job. Like, the Lord's not gonna give you anything more than you can handle. Like, how many times have we said that in the church? Um, we have just told people, like, oh, like, the Lord's not gonna give you something more than you can handle. And we just blow by, like, their experience. We're not interested in connecting with them. We want to get out of that situation as soon as possible. So we're just like, let me just give you a quick response and just move beyond that. Um, just to let you know, Jesus pretty much never does that. Um, he is not in a rush to get past it. He's really good at leaning in. So we're going to talk about that. Um, and what I want you guys to know is that whether it comes naturally to you or not, whether empathy and compassion comes naturally to you or not, is that it is a vehicle for miracles and transformations. Um, if you stay at a distance between people, you cannot bring your giant faith. We talk a lot about like building your faith and like 
singing that song champion, when I open my, my mouth, miracles start breaking out. That's all beautiful and that's all great. But if you're not connecting with someone, you can't, where are you taking that? Where, where is it going? Like you can't connect with them if, they're, if you can't bring the miracle if you're not connecting. So without empathy, we kind of actually leave people vulnerable to deal with stuff on their own. I can't. I need two music stands, apparently. Um, but that's all right. We'll be fine. Um, we leave people vulnerable to figure stuff out on their own. And the next time they have a concern or a struggle, they're not going to come to us. They're not going to come to the church. They're not going to come to this place that we've created. Because the last time they came to you, you blew them off. Um, you rushed past them. You gave them a quick, churchy response. And they were like, okay, and they might have been genuine, but like, okay, thank you for that. But they didn't really figure out what to do about their problem. Um, let's look at James 1, 26 through 27. James has a lot of great stuff to say in a short amount of time. And even before he, he says this verse here, he's talking about people who look in a mirror and they immediately forget what they look like. He's talking about the hypocritical religious person. So that's, and that's what he's talking about, just for reference. So he says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world now i could go off on a whole nother tangent about what religion is supposed to look like what christianity is supposed to look like with those two things keeping them in balance in our current political climate but we're not gonna go down that route but that would be fun um so the pharisees Seeing someone in their affliction, they never see the struggle. They would always just see the sin. Um, and I think that's the big difference between you see Jesus' response and the Pharisees' response is he always saw the struggle. He never, like the sin is not what he was scared of. He was always pointed directly at solving their problem, um, at meeting them where they're at. Um, and these Pharisees, a lot of times they had this crazy zeal and they had all of this energy to put towards holiness, but they had no compassion. And zeal a lot of times sees a problem, but it does not see suffering. Um, and that's why empathy actually invites you into a story, invites you into someone's story. And judgment, which is what these Pharisees kind of carried around with them as their back pocket tool closes people's stories. It shuts the book. Um, and Jesus was inviting us to partake with him in this story writing. And it's a little bit scary. And it's much easier to judge and take a quick moment and to, to judge. But he invites us into storytelling which I find really interesting. You see time and time again where the Father brings these people before Jesus who are in the middle of their stories, and he immediately brings them into what? Miracles, transformations, a lot of times from these moments of compassion. Um, 
Abby, can you put up the first verse about compassion? Actually, like 13 times in the gospel is the word compassion used. We're going to kind of use that. The Bible doesn't use the word empathy, obviously, but we're going to use compassion here. One of the first instance, Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. You see time after time, compassion is what initiates the miracle and the transformation. There is also faith there, obviously, but they are very quick to note the compassion as well. Go to the next one, Abby. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Can you go to the next one? Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. He always started from this place of connecting with people and being compassionate. And then he would do something else after that. Sometimes it was healing. Sometimes it was teaching. Sometimes it was listening to their story. Sometimes, like we're going to get to later, it's like being prophetic and telling someone something about themselves that they didn't know. There's no way you could know. A lot of, he uses a lot of different things, but compassion and faith are the springboard that he works from. I think that's a lot. Is there another one? Oh, one more. Oh, yes, the prodigal son. That's the ultimate. He arose and came to his father when he was still a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And I just absolutely love that. So the word compassion is used a lot um, in the gospel, and it's relating to the heart of the Father of getting on our level. This is where he starts. He starts on our level, and then he moves from there. And I think a lot of times in the church, we're starting from this, like, upward level, or we're starting from, like, down here where we think we're dirt and someone else is above us. But Jesus always starts level to level, eye to eye with us. And that's how he, that's how he initiates. And as a king, it's pretty interesting that he took on this characteristic and he felt like this was important. We've talked a lot here about royalty. And if you have not listened to the podcast that Corey did on royalty, they're amazing. There's two of them. Um, go back and listen to those. Um, but I would say that a good king, and Jesus was a good king, and he is a good king, he was the perfect example to us of knowing his identity, having perfect faith, and having perfect empathy and compassion for his people. A good king doesn't just stay in his tower and stay up there and make rulings and make decrees up there. A good king actually comes down among the people. A good king actually comes down and listens to the struggles of his people. He sits down in the restaurant with them and he listens to what's going on and he wants to know because he cannot serve his people well if he doesn't know what their struggles are. And that, that's the gift that he's been given. He's been given all power and all authority. But if he doesn't know what's happening with us, what is he supposed to do with it? And that's the exact same um, responsibility that we have as Christians. And we've really gotten a bit away from that for a while now, I think. Um, we love to judge because it's easier. We love to stay in our bubbles and stay busy. 
And that's not exactly something that, uh, that Jesus always did. And I want to just throw this out there as a, as a little caveat um, to study Jesus. If your family is new to Christianity or you're new to this whole thing, I would really tell you to just study Jesus, study his nature. Um, you will learn so much about leadership, about parenting, about being a good husband or a good wife from him. Study the Gospels. Watch how he interacts with people. Watch how he treats people. You will learn more from that than from those things, from any kind of books that you can read. Those are all great. Those are amazing. They have their place. But Jesus illustrates so many beautiful things to us just in the way he treats people. Okay, so we're going to jump here to the woman at the well in John 4, 7. And we're going to read through that. Let me find it. I guess I can read it up there. Or can I? It's very small. (sighs) Okay, so a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Okay, let's start with that. Jesus is kind of baiting her a little bit, um, it seems. (laughs) Um, He connects with people differently, and it's interesting here to see how he is connecting with her by instantly giving her a command. As he goes on, you can tell that he's like, he's trying to connect with her. And he does this differently with everyone. Um, But he starts out with saying, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And that's something we'll talk about in a second. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, she's not really getting what he's saying. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water from? Are, are you greater than our father Jacob? Because he gave us the well, and he was like, the well was fine for him. I don't understand. Like, were you saying you're better than Jacob? You're saying this well isn't great? I think it's great. And he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock, even his cows. And Jesus is saying it's not good enough. That's what she thinks, at least. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And he's like, okay. She's not like really getting what I'm saying right now. Um, So I feel like you can see him like kind of pause here and just like, okay. Um, Let's go a different route. She's not getting my metaphors. So, hmm. And I think that you see like the Holy Spirit and Jesus work side by side all the time. And I think you see him take a moment here and kind of scan through her life. Um, And he says, go. Like total, like side note, like he's just like flying, like, okay, Jesus, go call your husband. So go call your husband and, and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband, Jesus said to her. You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. So what you have said is true. And she's like, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. She's very confused. Like, she's just like, what is happening right now? Um, and Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. This is a lot of very fun theology stuff that we could talk about another time. I'm not going to harp on that this part, but the whole story itself is really good. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for the father is seeking such people to worship him God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth the woman said to him I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ when he comes he'll tell us all things I think she's like very confused she's like Okay, she's like, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, we'll just ask him, okay? When, like, you, when he comes, like, you'll just come with me and we'll ask him all these questions because what you're saying is so confusing right now. Well, let's just talk to Jesus when he gets here. And he says, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. <laughs> and just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? I don't know why she's still doubting, but she's at least going to tell the story. Um, they went out of town and they were coming to him. So an interesting story about about Jesus and this woman. Um, a couple things that I really love about it um, is the fact that he's talking to a woman. He's talking to a Samaritan woman. If you didn't hear last week, Corey talked about um, women and their place and their value and how especially in this time they were very marginalized. They were um, not allowed to speak. They weren't allowed to learn. All of these things. So the fact that that's why when the disciples came and they were surprised that he was talking to a woman, that was something crazy that he was doing. And a lot of times what you will see is Jesus is talking to people that have been outcasts, they have been ignored, they've been pushed to the edge of society, and he takes the time to get down on their level and listen to their story. And I think that you'll see, um, I lost my, my spot, where is it, oh yeah. You'll see that he kind of takes this moment when he says, he has that moment where he's like, go get your husband, where he is scanning through her life and he is saying, okay, I see husband number one. I see husband number two. I see husband number three. He sees the pain that each of her decisions caused her. He sees the pain that each of their decisions caused other people. And he feels that struggle that, that she has. And from that moment, he is able, now that he knows her story, he is able to speak to her problem. And only then was he able to speak to her problem. And a lot of times we jump immediately to giving advice, to giving our quick little quip, to sending somebody some graphic with scripture birds on it. And we don't take the time to ask them questions. We don't take the time to hear their story. And Jesus was so, so good at that. 
in order for you to actually have compassion, you have to sit down and you have to set aside your busyness and you have to set aside your fear and you actually have to ask people questions and hear their story. You're not always going to get a word of knowledge like Jesus got and that's what we call it when... Um, when you get like a word that comes to you that's for someone that there's no way you could have possibly known, it's not always gonna come like that to you. You might actually have to sit down and ask someone their story um, and ask them questions and sit in their pain with them for a little bit. And that was the place that he was able to speak to. Um, ah. We have to have empathy and power. We can't have one or the other. And I like to just like use this illustration of light and connection. So if power is light and if empathy is connection, um, here's what happens when you have one and not the other of either one. So if you have connection, if you have empathy without light, you are connected, you know you're not alone, but you still can't actually see what's around you. You can't actually um, have any wisdom and you can't have any healing, but you are connected. And the culture that we're kind of in right now, everybody's like, feel what you feel. Like your feelings are valid. Just feel the way you feel and stay that way forever. Like nobody's gonna bother you. It's all valid. It's all great. It's all good. We're gonna not bother you because we don't bother people anymore. People don't wanna be bothered. So let's just leave you where you are. But there is light that needs to come into that person's life. So that's what happens when you have connection without light. When you have light without connection, which is primarily what has been happening in the church, you have people that can see, but they're alone. They're, they have no connection, they have no relationship. Um, they may return back to the dark space that they were in before, even if they were temporarily lit up, because there's nothing pulling them back into that. Um, they, that's why you see a lot of times people get, um, they hear like a word or they have an encounter at a service or something, um, and they return a lot of times back to their dark place because there's no one pulling them into the light. There's no one that they're connected to. No one heard their story. Nobody asked any questions. Nobody empathized with them. And so they thought that they were alone. And so they just went back to their dark, their dark space. And that's kind of where we're at in the church right now. We're learning how to sit with people and listen to their stories and not offer these quippy little pieces of advice, but actually listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling us and speak into their life after that after you've actually listened. And I think that religious zeal can motivate you to, to do all those things, to bring light into people's life for a moment. Like you get a moment and you pray for someone and you get that energy to speak into their life, but it will not sustain you. And I know as this house grows and we wanna grow our impact in this community, we wanna see families restored, we wanna see this city restored, we wanna see this country restored. We cannot move forward in religious zeal anymore. Um, it has to come from a place of compassion. 
we've actually kind of become like a hospital that lines people up and we have like these two little stamps we have a stamp that says sick and we have a stamp that says well and these um, people come up to the hospital in a line I want you to imagine this and all we really do instead of heal them is we just stamp on them sick or stamp on them well that that's really I mean that's all that's all we're doing so we say uh yeah, there's something wrong with this person, but I'm not really sure what it is. Sick, and then we're like, all right, see you later. And then the next person in line is like, uh, this person looks perfectly fine. They're saying they're having all these problems, but they look fine to me. From my quick judgment, I can see, I'm very discerning, that there, there's nothing wrong with them. Like, they're perfectly fine. And they say, well, just go read Job and you'll be fine. And that's, that's the end of the story. Like, that's what the church is, is tending to do at this moment. And they just shut the book. The book gets shut, the story gets closed, and that person is like, okay, I have this stuff that I'm carrying, this life, this story that I'm carrying, but when I came to church, when I came to somebody that supposedly knew Jesus, they didn't listen. Um, there was no time, they didn't make time for me. They said they were too busy. Um, and so they leave. And instead of becoming being a hospital where we actually heal people, we actually restore people back to their image that they're supposed to be, we just label them sick or well, because that seems easy. We're really good at discerning without asking any questions. Um, and then we send them away. And I know that there's this whole American dream and that keeps us really busy, and we're busy with political agendas, and we're busy with making the American dream even better. Um, my dream, my American dream, is seeing families restored. My dream is seeing America encounter Jesus, encounter the man Jesus. My dream is seeing addicts restored and seeing addicts healed, seeing prodigals come home. And when you, the gospel doesn't actually move forward if we can't see people's pain. The gospel doesn't move forward in our nation if we cannot see and hear people's pain and struggle. Because here's something that I want you guys to really remember. The very essence of the gospel is that you sinned and that sin and that pain and destruction, it caused conflict in your life. And if you can't see the beauty of the rescue of that, if you can't actually see the pain, you can't see the rescue. If you're not hearing the struggle that somebody has, what are you, how are you going to rescue them? Because there's nothing that you think that they're fine. They look fine to you. You can't actually bring them into the beauty of the cross if you're not listening and you're not hearing. Um, I'm going to read a little bit of John 17 to you guys because this, this prayer that Jesus prays is, is good. I don't have it up there for you, Abby. Ah, where is it up? So in John 17, Jesus is 
telling us he's praying his high priestly prayer. And give me one second. I need a drink of water. Sorry. I need water. I'm a human. I'm not a robot. So in John 17, he's praying his high priestly prayer. And I find it really fascinating that at the height of Jesus' suffering, he's actually he's praying for you. And he's praying for me. At the height of his own suffering, he's connecting with you and with me. What, what, even, what even is that? Like we're talking about connecting with someone else who is suffering. But at the height of Jesus' own suffering, he was still connecting with us. And he still wanted, he was asking the Father to be one with us. And I know that there's a lot. Sorry, lost someone's pick. I know that not everybody here is in the same spot. Some of you are. Thank you, Cassia. Some of you are. Empathy comes easy for you. Like it's easy for you to feel with people. It's easy for you to relate to them. Your next step is to jump into faith and let the Holy Spirit bring miracles and transformation with that. That gift of empathy that you have, it is truly a gift, the gift of compassion. It's a beautiful thing. So your next step would be to explode this radical faith and believe that what you're feeling with this person when you're relating to them it's something to be used. The Holy Spirit wants to use that for something, whether he wants you to contend in prayer for that person, or he wants you to pray for them right then and there to be healed, which is often what Jesus did. That is your next step. And a lot of times um, we are affected by other people's emotions. If you're a person that is affected easily, and then we kind of just let it stop there. We let it lie there. Um, and then if we do that, we kind of leave that person there as a victim. And then next time they might come back to you and they might need something. And then you're there, you're a listening ear, but they haven't learned how to go to Jesus themselves and find restoration because you didn't shine any light on them. You connected with them, but you didn't shine any light on them. They don't know what to do then, who to go to for help. But a lot of us, <laughs> me included, um, are the person on the other side of that. We have a hard time connecting with people. We have a hard time sitting in pain, sitting in struggle. And I truly believe, like I said, that compassion is a gift that the Holy Spirit brings to us. Um, when I was in high school, and like I said, when I first encountered the Lord, I was, um, well, pre that, very sassy person. I'm still a very sassy, sarcastic person. Um, but I was so incredibly critical. Like you can ask my mom, I knew absolutely everything. Like I was the smartest person in the world. Um, and that overflowed into a lot of my, um, how I dealt with people. 
Um, I don't even know. It was just something that I've always noticed that is just a crazy transformation to me. Um, I had zero sympathy and then, or empathy, I guess you would call it. I didn't even have sympathy. I didn't, I didn't have either of those things. When I encountered Jesus and I encountered his love for myself, um, it was almost like overnight I was able to extend compassion so easily to people. Um, I was able to cry with people. I was able to pray for them and meet them exactly where they were at and not rush out of it, not feel scared, not feel weird in a situation. And that is the Holy Spirit. And that is what the Holy Spirit does. Um, I don't want, this, this could be something about like 10 steps to learning how to be compassionate. And you can go listen to that TED Talk by Brene Brown and I'm sure she'll give you some great tips on how to be compassionate. And like I said, hearing people's stories and asking questions, but truly it is something that happens when you recognize where Jesus has brought you, when you recognize how crazy it was that you were literally going to hell and he came down as a king. He came down as a king and in the height of his struggle, which I'm gonna read to you, he's praying, he was praying for you. He was praying for you to be restored and be brought as one with the Father. So we're gonna read this and hopefully those of you who have stone cold hearts um, will be melted. All right, so um, we're in John 17. And Jesus is talking to the Father. He has a short little bit where he's talking to him about what the Father has been doing. But the majority of this prayer is for us. The majority of he, you would, you would think that before you're going to do what Jesus said, that he was like, okay, Father, give me all the strength that I need. I need a lot of strength. Please give me some more strength. I don't know if I can do this. And he, I would just be going on and on like, like a hamster in a wheel saying the same thing. But like only a quarter of his prayer is about himself. The rest of it is about us. So that's the part that we're going to read a little bit of. And Holy Spirit, I just ask right now that as I'm reading these words, ask that you would just reveal the love of Jesus in this room. I ask that hearts that are hardened, hearts that have been wronged, hearts that were open but they were hurt, that they would be made open. I just ask for your compassion to come in this room We just ask for your compassion to come in this room, Holy Spirit. So Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. You guys, these are actual words from Jesus. I want you to just let that sink in too. These are literal words that Jesus prayed in, in, a, in a physical place on this earth in the garden before he went to the cross. He literally said every single word that I'm, that I'm saying. I want you to imagine Jesus talking to the Father here. 
I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. So he's worried about them. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, which he's talking about Judas that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He's about to go to the cross and he's enduring the greatest suffering of all mankind. He's asking for your joy to be fulfilled. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. And he's actually praying for his disciples there as they're about to go take the world by force. Um, and they don't know it yet. And, but he, he gets to the rest of us here. I do not ask for these only, but also for those, also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What is he asking for there? He's asking for connection, right? Me and him, him and me, it gets a little confusing. He's like saying a bunch of the same stuff over and over. That means he's asking for connection. He's asking the Father to keep us all connected, even though I'm going away, keep us connected. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, and they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. The love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. At the height of his suffering, the height of his suffering, he could have been praying for himself and he was praying for you. He was praying for connection to be restored after he left. He was worried about you. He was worried about his disciples as he was leaving. If you guys wanna stand, we're gonna just pray here. So Holy Spirit, we just thank you 
We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the cross, Jesus. We want to love like you love. We want to listen like you listen. We want to ask questions like you ask questions. Father, I want everyone to be welcome at my table. I want everyone to be welcome at my table. Father, I know that we have been busy. We've been busy doing a lot of things or we've been afraid. We've been afraid to get close to struggle and get close to pain because we don't know what to say. We feel awkward. We feel weird. But Holy Spirit, you have given us the ability to connect with the people that are in this in this room, the families that are in this room. You have given us the words and the presence to be able to connect with them. And even right now, guys, as we're standing here, um, I know I'm talking about just like empathy in general, but the Lord has actually given you the the unique ability to minister to your family first and then the rest. And when we're talking about listening to stories and hearing people's stories and hearing what they're struggling with, I'm talking about your family first here. I'm talking about your husband, talking about your wife, I'm talking about your children, listening to their stories You've been called first to take care of your family, and then we go on to the rest. Then we go on to the rest of the world. And the Holy Spirit has given you unique wisdom to hear the struggles and the pain of people in your very own home, your own children, your own mother, your own grandmother, those stories that the Father wants to reveal to you, I just ask right now, Father, for a specific ability to have compassion. And that's what we're gonna ask for. If you guys would just hold out your hands like you're receiving a gift, we're gonna ask the Father for a greater measure of compassion. And I just, right now, if that's something that you're wanting, go ahead and just ask him to reveal, um, to remind you of the cross because I'm telling you right now, there is nothing that stirs up compassion for others more than remembering the cross and remembering the beautiful work that he did for us on the cross. It carries over into every action, every interaction, every relationship that you have. So Father, we ask for remembrance. We wanna remember what you did for us on the cross. We want our hearts to overflow with compassion for our community for Wildwood, for the state of Florida, for our families. We want to overflow with compassion. Our works, our miracles, our fancy things that we're doing, all of that is beautiful. But if we're not loving people well in this community, then what are we even doing? So Father, I ask for a greater measure of compassion. I ask for hardened hearts to be softened right now. I ask for hardened hearts to be softened. And if you're in this room, if you've been hurt, and maybe that's the reason why your heart's kind of been hardened and you're not interested in opening up again, I would just ask you right now to maybe ask the Holy Spirit to soften. Ask the Holy Spirit to soften you. I'm just kind of guiding you guys. You guys are going to do the work right now, but I'm just going to guide you. Because if you want to see this community 
turned over into revival, if you want to see your family restored, we have to have compassion. It has to be what is driving us. We have to be so in love with our community and so in love with our family. That is the vehicle that brings miracles and transformations.